What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com. Hey, Next on the T Nation, thanks for tuning in to this segment of the show featuring tour legend Neil Lancaster. And thank you so much for your continued support. The show is currently ranked number three in the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 list. We've been number two in June and July, now number three in August and September. We certainly appreciate your vote. You can do so daily by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. You guys have been fantastic. This is your show, and you're certainly showing that by your votes. Thank you so very much. Y'all are fantastic. Enjoy this segment. Okay, my first guest tonight is Neil Lancaster. Neil is from Smithfield, North Carolina, was a self-taught player who didn't take his first official golf lesson until after he had turned pro. And that lesson was from L.B. Floyd, father of Ray Floyd. We'll talk about that in a minute. Neil turned pro in 1985, got his first win on the PGA Tour in 1994 at the Byron Nelson Classic in a six-man playoff. He finished second in the 2002 Canadian Open. He had five other professional wins at the 1985 Carolinas Open, the 1989 Pine Tree and Utah Opens, the 2017 Carolinas PGA Senior Professional Championship, and the 2018 Carolinas Senior Season Kickoff. He finished tied for fourth at the 1995 U.S. Open at Shinnecock Hills, thanks to a final round 65 that featured a U.S. Open record 29 on the back nine in the final round. He ended up finishing four back at Corey Pavin. He shot a back 929 again the following year in the U.S. Open at Oakland Hills, this time in the second round. Since retiring from playing on the Champions Tour, he's become a PGA professional in the Carolina section, and I'm thrilled to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Neil, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's a pleasure. It's been hot, but everything's going good. Starting to cool off <laughs> a little bit. We're going to get through the heat, but it's been a good summer. Neil, like I mentioned in your intro, you were self-taught. I read that you taught yourself how to play looking at pictures in magazines. So I got to ask, what, what made you pick up a golf club to begin with? And then how did you teach yourself how to play out of pictures in magazines? Well, my, my dad and my granddad used to play all the time. And uh, we had a couple little holes around the house with some, you know, some Maxwell House coffee cans and little irrigation flags. And, and then we joined a golf course called the Cardinal golf club and um they would go out every weekend so i just ride along with them and i just started looking at magazines and was very visual and looked at people if i read the articles i'd get confused kind of so i just i kind of emulate the best players in the world and, and at the time you know nicholas and trevino and so i, I kind of taught myself that way and i 
I developed a bad hook and I just, I, I figured it out myself. And then, uh, just, you know, I, I watched it every Saturday and Sunday afternoon on the tour with Johnny Miller with pot in the day. And I, I just, I decided that's what I wanted to do. And I just kind of, you know, kept working at it, kept working at it, kept working at it after I got about 15 years old and was lucky enough to make the tour. And, um, somewhere around 84, I think it might've been 81. I don't even know when I got on, but, I was, you know, very fortunate to, to get out there, and I, I knew what I wanted to do, and I just, I just kind of picked myself if things went crazy. I just would try to figure out, you know, back then the ball was so different, you could curve it a lot. So I, I played by feel, and I curved the ball a lot, and uh, I was just a visual guy, and that's that's basically, and I just, I caught myself. So at what point was it? Fifteen when you finally thought to yourself, you know what? Hey, I'm pretty good at this thing. I could probably make a run at going, uh, going pro. Well, actually, I played all other sports, too. And at 15, I started playing. I played baseball, and I was not a very good runner. So I I put my mind to golf and started playing golf in high school, and I just started getting better. The more I played, the better I got. The more I played, the better I got. And, you know, and, and people don't realize it takes a lot of work. I mean, I hit a lot of golf balls and figured it out myself. And sometimes you just got to go out and figure it out yourself. And like I mentioned in your intro, you didn't take your first official lesson until after you turned pro, and that lesson happened to be from L.B. Floyd, Raymond Floyd's father. So how did you meet L.B. Floyd, and what made you approach him about taking a lesson? Well, I actually was uh, – I think I was struggling, like, my first year on the tour, and I, I actually didn't uh, regain my status. I mean, I, I lost my status, and so I thought I'd try to get better, and I was – hanging around 140, 132, one, you know, just never keeping my card the first year. And so I decided to go see Mr. Floyd, who's up the road in Fedville, North Carolina, about 50 miles from me, because Ray Floyd, you know, is a legend, and he was still playing good at the time. So I went to see Mr. Floyd, and I'll never forget, I walked in and, and met him, and he said, I'll be out in a minute, and I got a golf cart, and he got one, and we rode out, and he watched me hit about 15 range balls, and we went out, and he said, I'm going to watch you play three or four holes from a distance. So we went out, and he had a little dog with him in the car, and i would never forget it. And uh, still was driving the old Cushman three-wheeler. And um, I hit a few, played like three or four holes, and we came in and went in his office. And I said, well, Mr. Floyd, what do you think? And he said, looks like to me you got it, son. He said, you got a lot of natural ability. He said, go out there and do it because you've got the talent to do it, is what he told me. So I kind of took that as my lesson. I went out and I retained my playing privileges and got my card back and stayed out there about 14 years before I fell apart again and had to go back to tour school. And then I got through that one and stayed out about three or four more years and I had some injuries. But he told me probably the greatest thing ever. Uh, he said, you're a field player, so, you know, feel it. But back then, the balls and the clubs were so different, you could curve them. And, uh, like I said, I was a field player, and I liked to curve the ball. But it, it gave me a lot of confidence when he told me that I had the talent to go do it and just go do it. So that's what I did. Speaking of Q school, I read in your PGA Tour profile that at one point you had $93 in your pocket, a van, and that was back in 1989. You still decided to go out there and give it a try on the mini tours. You ended up winning $96,000 in a four-month span. And then went on to Q school. Is that accurate? That is that is 
that is pretty accurate. You know, $93, yeah, I had enough money to get gas. I had a full tank of gas, you know, roughly 90 to to 100 bucks to get some first event. And I, I played good enough to move on to the next one. And what happened, actually, I was a club pro in Mount Olive, North Carolina, for three years out of college. And, and the guy who gave me my start, he said, who was the head professional, I was, you know, pretty much beating everybody in the Carolinas. And uh, he said, I think you got some ability. And they got a little bit of money up, and they sent me off. And uh, my dad owned a car lot, and he had a van, and we took it. And so I got enough for my entry fees to play like 14 mini tour tournaments across the country. Well, I played my first one, and when I got to, uh, it was called the U.S. Golf Tour back then. And I got to Texas, and I shot 62 the last day to finish second. And I uh, won about $8,500, and that gave me enough money to keep going. And then I went on, and I won a, another U.S. golf tour in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, somewhere in Pine Free Open. And I won 20000 there. And then I went to the uh, – so I worked my way west because I wanted to see if I could compete against players all over the country. And I got to Utah, and they said Keith Clearwater and J. Don Blake are playing this week, and they got their tour cards. And Keith Clearwater actually was doing them a favor. I think he had won Colonial that year or the year before, shot 64-64 in the last two rounds. So I went out there and played that. Uh, I set the tournament record, won it by nine, um, and won 20000 there, and uh drove back and then that's when i went to tour school that year and i got through fast forwarding a few years when you win the byron nelson in 1994 they shortened the event to 36 holes due to a lot of rain talk about the conditions that week and then winning the tournament in a six-way playoff well it, it was so many rain delays i've always got it always loved the locker room because all the characters come out we always talked and had a good time so rain delays didn't really bother me. I mean, we just went in and had a good time. And I remember uh, it, it rained so much on the 14th hole that they took helicopters and drive the fairway out just so we could play the final round. And the Coca-Cola machine was in the middle of the fairway when all the water went away. But anyway, I finished early. I birdied the last five, I think. And then I went in a six-man playoff, the largest playoff in history. And the craziest thing is Mark Rawson. I was the last to hit in the playoff off the tee. And Mark Rawson said, I have a funny feeling Neil is going to win this thing. And my caddy talked me into everybody was hitting driver off the tee. at 18th hole at Las Colinas. And he said he hit a three-wood. And the reason he wanted me to hit three-wood is because I hit three-wood nine-iron in regulation. And so I hit three-wood. And I had the exact same yardage I had in regulation, and I hit it about five feet both times. And luckily, you know, you got to have some luck. Everybody missed a putt, and I had a five-footer to win the Byron Nelson. You know, it just it changed my life, basically. It, it gave me a lot of confidence and got me in some events I wouldn't have got in. And it was, uh, and just, you know, Byron Nelson, a legend, win his event. And uh, I didn't care if it was 36. A win's a win. And to that end, when you're getting ready for the six-man playoff, everyone's over on the driving range. They're hitting warm-up shots. I read you hit two shots, went back and sat down because you knew how you were going to play that 18th hole. Is that right? 
Yeah, everybody was out there warming up, and you know, everything's TV based, and everybody's on the range with the caddies hitting balls. I got up, hit a couple. Uh, I hit a, I hit a three wood first, and I hit a nine iron second, and then I hit a couple drivers, and I went and sat back down on the bench. And everybody said, "Bill, what are you doing?" I said, "Well, we're only going to play one hole. If you don't birdie the first hole, you're going to be out." So I knew if I didn't birdie the first hole, I'd probably be out. And luckily, you know, I just sat down there and put my mind, I'm going to birdie the first hole. And that's what happened. I buried the first hole, and everybody else parted. So <laughs> the tournament was over. But yeah, I, I wasn't much of a much of a range rat. I was a, you know, I just uh, that that wasn't my style. I, I I played some of my best golf, and Carlos Franco did the, the, did this because he's a field player. Is because I, I, I'm such a field player and visual that I I, didn't, I wouldn't even go to the range because you're just out there hitting straight shots and getting loose. And I would just walk to the tee. First hole's dog leg right. Just hit a little cut shot out there. But that that's, you know, golf's a crazy game. We practice on a flat lie, and we only hit it off of a flat lie 18 times all day off the tee box. <laughs> Most times the ball's below your feet, above your feet. So, you know, on the driving range, you're just hitting off a flat lie and hitting straight shots. And that's, that's good for getting loose, but that has nothing to do with the game, the driving range. So I got to ask you now, I mean, you're you're trying to get your first PGA Tour win. You execute the drive. You execute the second shot. Now you've got a five-footer, and I read it was kind of a downhill putt. You're standing over a five-footer to win a tournament. Were you nervous? What's going through your mind as you're standing on, on top of that putt? Nervous as I've ever been in my life. You, I, luckily, it was five-foot, and it was downhill left to right, and I could just barely touch it. I think if it was uphill, I probably would have, wouldn't have made the putt, but since it was downhill, I knew that it, it was really fast, and I really just had to get it started online, and I, I, I did. You know, luckily it went in, and the hair stood up on my head, and just you know, it was it was a great feeling. And you know, guys, we that's one thing that I like to tell the audience is you see guys on the weekend. Tiger Woods, the greatest player ever, and these guys, they are nervous. They just know how to control their emotions. They are so nervous you can't believe it, and but they're controlling their emotions, and it's yeah, it's it's uh. It's exciting to get in that position. I mean, that you, the adrenaline's flowing, and you always hear guys hitting nine iron from 175, and it's all adrenaline. They just know how to control the adrenaline better than some guys. Let's go ahead. One year later, 1995 at the U.S. Open at Shinnecock, you're hanging around par after the first two rounds and had a had a tough third round, but in the final round, you shoot the round of the day, course record 65, and includes a back nine 29, which is another U.S. Open record. Talk us through birdieing six of the final nine holes. Well, it, it, it's crazy. I mean, it, I was playing with Fuzzy, and, and we're going around on the front nine, and we're we're one of the earlier groups out in the day. And, you know, we're just, we get to the back nine, and I snap hook it off a of 10, and the best I can do is get it in the front bunker upside the green. Well, I get it in the bunker and I get it up and down. And then I don't even know what holds a birdie, but I know that I made four putts probably over 50 feet. And Fuzzy said he could just feel that they were going to start going in after. I made two I made two in a row from 40 feet. And then I think I'll, I'll never forget on the 15th hole, I had a putt, must have been 75 feet. And I hit it and it, it was in from the time I hit it. And I was like, oh, man, this is something. But the most hilarious thing about the first one is John Daly played in front of me. He hit it in the bleachers left on 18 Shinnecock. 
Johnny Miller's first telecast. My caddy's from Canada, and he's smoking a cigarette, and I'm in the fairway, and I have no idea I'm breaking these records. And I'm standing there, and I look at my caddy, and he has smoked that cigarette all the way down past the butt, and he is shaking. And I said, Kenny, what's wrong with you? And he said, I said, Kenny, what's wrong with you? And he said, if you par this hole, you're going to break every U.S. Open record they got and set the course record at Shinnecock. And I said, well, I didn't need to know that. <laughs> so anyway, John Daly's up there, and he's taking a, a, a drop out of the bleachers. Well, they finally finished the hole. Well, now I'm really nervous. I hit it long and left over the green, and Johnny Miller first telecast says, well, he can't get this ball within 20 feet of the hole. I flopped it up as high as you've ever seen, and it rolled down there about three and a half feet, left to right putt, and I made it, shot 29, walked off. And what was great about that is my dad was there. Wow. You know, they came up, and, uh, you know, it, and it was Father's Day, because the opening was finished on Father's Day. And I was like, so anyway, I walk in, I shoot 65. They're saying, Neil, you need to hang around. You can win the tournament. There's 23 groups behind me. And sure enough, I think I finished fourth, and Corey finished one under. I might have finished two or three over, but that was that was, that was was a great experience there, too. And then something about all the major championships I always played in, I always did real well. I, I was a golfer. The, the harder it was, the better I played. And I think it was because you had to, you know, like back to you had to visualize everything. So anyway, like you said, the next year we go to Oakland Hills, and I'm not playing real well. It's raining. I'm 10 over for the tournament with nine holes left on Friday. My dad and his buddies are up there, and they said, we're going home. We'll see you tomorrow. So they get in the car and start driving back. Well, anyway, same scenario. Snap, hook it off the tee, hit it in the front bunker, get it up and down. Birdie the next hole, go to a par five. We are playing lift cleaning place. It's a dog leg right, 12th hole, and nobody's getting home in two. Well, I hit it out there, and it plugged in the fairway, so I picked it up and put it on the plug mark and hit a driver over the trees, and it plugged the foot from the hole. So anyway... Chip in on, I chip in on the 15th hole, and I've got a, I got an eight footer, I got an eight ten footer on 17 to get to 28 per side. But anyway, I go to, I didn't make it. I go to 18, and I hit it short of the green, and I chipped it up. And I made about a six footer downhill left to right to shoot 29 again, and I'm like, oh boy, I went from, I went from missing the cut to I think 14th place going into Saturday. And the funniest thing is my dad and they were halfway home. And and they said, you want us to turn around and come back? And I'm like, well, uh, obviously you're bad luck, Dad. Keep going home. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it was – it was. Uh, I always did good. I mean, the U.S. Senior Open one time, I played well in, in that. And I, I, I flew one in the hole for a hole in one. I've just – I've done some incredible incredible things in, in the U.S. Open. But, you know, it is what it is. And, uh, I like it. The harder it gets and the worse conditions, that's my kind of golf. Yeah, so is that what it is for you with U.S. Opens? Because there's probably no tougher tournament all year round than the U.S. Open. The conditions, the mental part of the game, all that sort of stuff, it seems like that brought out the best in you. Well, I've always had a, I had a very upright swing. And, you know, and I always took the approach going into the U.S. Open. The rough's always been. I mean, the rough back. The, the rough on the tour now and the, game, the way the game's changed, the rough, the, the fairways are 60 yards wide. 
when we played back in the day, we always had rough. Uh, Hartford, Connecticut, all, you know, uh, Greensboro, up in Greensboro, some of the toughest rough. You couldn't move the ball 80 yards out of And I always took the approach in the U.S. Open that everybody's going to be driving it in the road, in the, in the rough, and everybody needs to be the best from 80 yards in because we're all going to be hacking it out of the rough, getting it up there. So basically at that time, my wedge game and my putting was all those weeks. And that's what you need in the U.S. Open. You, you need a you need to be, you need you know it's all about adversity. You better grind it out. There's no, you know, there's no twenty two under, twenty one under. You know if you hunt, if you hung around par back then, that something good was going to be happening to you at the end of the week. And I think I just I was grinding. I was grinding. And Neil, you played full time on the PGA Tour from 1990 to 2005, and you go back to Q School in 2009. I know you had some shoulder issues at times during your career, but is that why you ended up going back to Q school in 09? Well, I, you know, also, you know, after that many years, I, I, I had a, I had a shoulder injury. I had a life on my shoulder, the size of your fist, and I needed to get that removed. I had three ruptured discs in my neck and probably didn't really know what was wrong with me. I had so many injuries going on, but like I said, I was a grinder. I was tough. I just, I was going to, you know, whatever it took, I was going to do. And when I went back to tour school yeah I, I got through um and went back out and uh you know I, i'm the kind of guy i'm a, i'm a golfer man i, I play golf for, i play for the love of the game that, i mean that's what i do I, I i play golf that's all i've ever done. and so when i got through and went back out you know I, I played all right and and then i actually made a mistake um i uh i had a i had a shoulder surgery and I thought I was going to go back out and be fully exempt from what I understood and they changed the rules a little bit and I went back out and was not fully exempt I was in the top I, I think I finished like fourth at tour school so I was going to get into you know pretty good tournaments early in the year well I went and had surgery where I should have probably played the first four tournaments and then had surgery because I moved down the list so then I was out for about a two or three years with just, you know, I was letting myself heal up. And then when I got 48, I'm like, I got to go back or I'm never going to go back. And I went back and rehabbed on the web.com a few times, and you know, and I feel like today I played better than I played back in my prime. The, the ball goes further. Um, Chris, when I was a rookie on the tour, one day we went out at the same time. He led driving distance at 284. Dan Poe was like 282. And I was 279 and was third in driving distance. And when I was 51 years old, I played enough tournaments on the big tour for them to keep staff. I hit 301 and was 62nd. Wow. So that goes to show you it's the equipment. It's, I'm not getting stronger over 20 years. But I hit the, I hit the ball 20, I hit the ball 20, 27, 23, 27 yards further at 51 than I did in my prime. So that's wow. golf. That's, that's so, golf. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about that because, to your point, I saw at the Shaw Charity Classic out on the Champions Tour earlier this year, you played out there, you had a 349-yard drive. So distance isn't an issue for you. I'm surprised we're not seeing you out there all the time. When are we going to get to see you more on the Champions Tour? I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. 
I, I couldn't get through tour school. About two years, I shot fifteen under one year and missed by one. In one year, I shot fourteen under and missed by one. They only take five out of tour school. But you know, I, I've always been an advocate. You know, I played twenty years on the tour and have no status. When I turned fifty on the Champions Tour, I had status on the Corn Ferry Tour and didn't have any on the Champions Tour. And I'm like, wow. something's not right. But yeah, it's uh, and I had and I had limited status on the regular tour. But I, I, I'm trying. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to Monday qualify some. Um, and I, I still like feel still like I can play. But you know, when you get out there, you got to do a Stephen offer. You got to get hot. Yeah, he went on a stretch. He's probably the best player in the world for about about six months last year. But uh, I'm trying, and I'm gonna go qualify. Uh, some and I, I'm gonna play in the SAS Championship up in uh, Cary, my my home tournament in uh, the end of October. But I want to play out there. But it, it takes 23 million in career earnings to get on the Champions Tour. 23 million. <laughs> so it's kind of a it's kind of a close shot unless you you know you, you had to have a great career to get out of there. Five wins and 23 million. And I didn't do that. I just had 360 cuts. <laughs> but you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is what it is, but you know sometimes you gotta help yourself. I'm playing better. I've been struggling with my putter a little bit, but it's coming around. I'm I'm working at it. Um, I, I feel like I still got some good years in me. I'm turning sixty next week, but I still feel like I can go out and compete. I'm hitting the ball good as I've, I've ever hit the ball, and I think actually the equipment's helped me. But you know I'm just not putting like I used to. But who does? Nobody stays hot forever. <laughs> right. Neil, before I let you go, let our listeners know, how can we stay up to date with the things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Well, actually, I'm, I'm not on social media much. I'm getting ready to uh, launch my website, and uh, I'm coming up with that. I'm waiting for the heat to cool down, and I, I, uh, can give, uh, I'm going to give some lessons, and I'm going to try to play the tour some. And, uh, and actually, I'd like to say hello to my wife and kids. I got a Great support system, my wife Ashley and I, I have a 11 year old and an 8 year old, two girls, and they're probably the greatest thing. No, not probably. They are definitely the greatest thing that's ever happened. And we wanted to do it that way. When my career slowed down a little bit, that was the time for us to have children, and they're a big part of my life, and, and they really support me, and they're excited to see me play. Well, Neil, I'm excited to see you play again soon, too. I hope uh, we get the privilege of of watching you out on the Champions Tour and then getting to have you back on the show again. A lot more to talk about about your playing career, but you've made this segment a lot of fun. I hope we get to catch up with you soon. Anytime, Chris. If you ever need anything, need any help, you just give old Neil Lancaster a call. I'll be here, buddy. I appreciate you, Neil. Take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Happy birthday a week early. Look forward to catching up soon. Thank you, sir. See you, Neil. That is the great Neil Lancaster, folks. You want to talk about a great player that was uh, doing some great things out on the tour back in the 90s. Boy, you, you talk about Neil Lancaster. 29 twice? Almost shot a 28 at a U.S. Open? Are you kidding me? That never happened, obviously. You know, such, such a, a course record 65 at Shinnecock, and then goes out and also shoots 29, and he does it back-to-back years. Never happened in the history of the game. May never happen again, particularly at a U.S. Open. And then a guy that was right there, you know, in those opens, finishing fourth one time, and then uh, he got he got a win at the Byron Nelson. And then you know, one of the things we didn't discuss just a couple of years ago, 2018, 
at the Barbasol Championship at the age of 56. He's right in the thick of things. I mean, he shot uh, opening round 69 in the first and then the second round at 56 years old playing with the young kids. I think this guy's got a lot of game left, and I'm very much excited to see how that plays out for him, hopefully, like I say, real soon. What are your plans for your business this year? Hey, it's Tug. Do you want to expand and grow? Aren't you exhausted by going to lenders, building a relationship, and a week later, you got a new person to deal with? You have to start all over again? You don't have that with First Liberty Building and Loan. The Frost family has been helping businesses grow since the 90s, and they want to know you. Unlike big banks, they want to partner with you. The Frost family knows the patterns. They know the ebbs and flows. They know business. Get to know them at FirstLibertyGA.com. Building a building? Buying a building? Buying a franchise? Expanding? Reach out to them. Spend 10 minutes with them. See if you're a fit for them and if they're a fit for you. You do that at FirstLibertyGA.com. And by the way, if you're a young banker and want to work with a team that is faith-friendly and has a culture of excellence, First Liberty might be a good match. Reach out to them today. First Liberty Building and Loan. FirstLibertyGA.com. That's FirstLibertyGA.com.